Welcome to Commerce Conversations by Commerce Ventures, the podcast where we dive deep into fintech and retail tech with industry experts. I'm Claire Jacobs, Head of Content and Community at Commerce. And today we chat with Renee Lassert, who's the CEO and founder of Build.com, the early mover in SMB payments. Our early investment in Build.com was a catalyst for our interest in solutions that enable the small business segment to claw back more margin in an ever more competitive and digital environment. In this episode, Dan and Renee speak candidly about defining a market when it hasn't been created yet, and a little bit more on Renee's personal leadership journey. Listen in. Hey, Renee, thanks so much for being with us today. Dan, it's always good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's definitely our pleasure. Well, I thought that we could cover a bunch of different topics today, but why don't we start with your background? I feel very fortunate because I grew up in and around entrepreneurs. And so in fact, the night that uh, I was born, my mom was sorting punch cards to do a payroll GL payables job for the largest defense contractor in DC. And she wasn't feeling well. And my dad said, let's just get it done and you can take the weekend off. And did it. she didn't think she was having me that day because I was two and a half weeks early and she'd had a baby before. So, but fast forward, the next job, 1230, I was born at 2.30 in the morning and um, wow. she got, we got off, right? But that wasn't what the plan <laughs> was. But yeah, I think the, the reason I tell that is like, I feel very fortunate that I had the dinner table MBA. And so I grew up in and around small businesses. Like I said, my grandparents had I don't know, maybe seven businesses in their life. My parents uh, ran uh, probably five businesses that I got to learn the intimacy of all the challenges of what it was to be an SMB. And then when I ended up starting my own, I relied on that learning a fair bit. And so the path from that to you know starting the first company was I worked at Price Waterhouse as an accountant. Uh, the reason I went there is somebody told me that the language of business is accounting. I wanted to learn that. That was the recruiter at Price Waterhouse that told me that it was a very good move on my part because I didn't actually understand accounting at the time. Then uh, I worked for my parents' payroll company that I worked for Intuit, where I just learned a ton about building great companies, right? Everything you could imagine about, you know, building product and building things for the SMBs. That's what I got to do there, focused on payroll, focused on bill pay. And then I started the first company, PayCycle, which did online payroll. And I think we were the first, uh, if not the first, we were the fastest growing online payroll company in the country over the course of essentially, I guess, seven years. I was kind of involved day to day. I was a CEO for uh, six of those years. And then I, I did a transition, transitioned out. And then I started Bill in 2006. Uh, PayCycle ended up selling to Intuit in, in uh, 2009, but I've been doing pace on for Bill now for 17 years. And it's just been a blast, a lot of great opportunity in how we, you know, innovate on financial operations for SMBs and something that we're super happy that is finally getting the awareness that it deserves. SMBs deserve great product and it's where our focus is at. Awesome. So it, it sounds like you, you were born into a family, uh, you're born into payables, uh, it sounds like, but, uh, yeah. but you were born into, uh, into a family that was comfortable, you know, kind of starting and running small businesses. Do you think when you were starting PayCycle that that made a, a big difference with your willingness to take the risk of, you know, starting with basically a blank sheet and building, you know, before you had, you know, kind of a product or, or, or really having no safety net, I guess, uh, with taking that risk? Yeah, I think it's a great question because for my parents and grandparents, every business was started with the money in their back pocket. 
every business was funded by the money in their back pocket, which, you know, for my dad, oftentimes, because credit was easier with credit cards uh, than going to the bank. I mean, a lot of times that's how they funded things. And for me with PayCycle, you know, I left into it. And the first year, I think I didn't make any money. I'd set aside enough money that I could not have a salary. Uh, the co-founder also done the same. And so until we raised money, we didn't take a salary. The first salary we took was $25,000, which was pretty small, but it was kind of just to cover the expenses. So from a risk perspective, I had some because I was walking away from a great job at Intuit where there was plenty of upside still if I'd stayed. If you think about the stocks that I walked away from, right, it's uh, Intuit's had a great run. But I didn't have the same level of risk that my parents had. And I don't know how many of your listeners would do it without the VC backing, how much are they willing to put the money in their back pocket, you know, to work. But it is something that I value that most SMBs in America have to actually make cash flow with the money in their savings account, the money in their back pocket. And that's something I think that's super valuable and important to think about when you're building tools for them. And that's how I think about it. Like this is, I need to make their lives easier because I saw the pain. I saw the challenge that mom and dad and grandma and granddad had, you know, running these businesses. There's just a lot of opportunity to increase their effectiveness, the SMB's effectiveness. And that's what I wanted to do. Makes total sense. I was fortunate to meet you relatively early in the bill evolution. And I, I guess I wonder you know, whether or not, it, there's always this question that we think about with companies that we're investing in. But my sense was that the market for AP automation back then, when I first met you, was pretty immature. So I, I'm curious whether or not you'd look back and say that the timing of starting the business, you might've actually been a little bit too early for the market. It wasn't quite ready for you. Or if, if I'm mischaracterizing, you know, kind of that, that timing um, of, of starting the business. Uh, you're definitely not mischaracterizing it. It, it, you know, and I think one of the things I would say is, uh, I, 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 it's a little weird for me to say this, but I feel like we define the category for financial operations, you know, the way it's happening now, uh, really looking at AP spending expense, AR, all the things that we're doing to kind of help that back office be far more efficient. And so when you define a category, you're always going to be the first one there. Right. And I think that's kind of what you're hinting at. Like we were first, uh, into this. And when I went and talked to accounts, which are a huge, important channel, for example, for Bill today, many of the accounts that had used us at PayCycle, I went to many, meaning, you know, half a dozen. I went to them and I said, hey, I had this new thing I'm working on. I'd like you to use it. Uh, all of the first six were like, yeah, I don't have that problem. I'm fine writing checks. You know, it's not my issue. And I said, look, could you just try it for, I don't know, six months? And I said, well, for you, Renee, I'll try it. It turned out that, you know, they came back to me, I think within 120 days, not even six months, just saying, oh my God, I had such a mess. I had no idea it was that messed up. And you've enabled us to kind of think about it differently. So, so was I early? Yes. But if you wanted to find the category, you have no choice but to be early and then to be patient. I think one of the things that is super uh, important for entrepreneurs to think about is that that balance of patience and impatience. Right. It's the impatience that gets you off your ass to go do something. And that's, you know, in the conference, probably the payments conference that we, you know, met at or something like that. It was early days. And like I was ready to go do something, but then I had to be patient because it's been 15 years probably since we met. Right. It's been a long time uh, since I've been building Bill and that patience of understanding when to apply the, the urgency that's necessary as well as wait for something to come to market. That's the essence of your question. I think it's hard for entrepreneurs to know that, but that's one of the things we are paid to do, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And we think about that question all the time. It's an interesting point about the early feedback that probably gave you important, you know, kind of confidence in the product that you had from the accountants. Was there another seminal moment along the way when you sort of felt like you knew that the the business was working? Like, hey, this really feels like I'm building a business that can go on to scale and be a big company. It was actually really early and probably even uh, maybe it was earlier even than the conversations I just referenced with the accountants. So I, I left and started in 2006, 2007, we were going to go to the demo uh, conference. And some, some of you may remember the demo conference. It was a great conference. Uh, and I had prepared my demo and I, you know, gave it to my dad. And, and I told him what I was doing. I'd been working on the idea for maybe two or three years. And I told him, and when I finished the demo, dad just said, holy crap, this is so much bigger than I realized what you were doing. This is going to be freaking amazing. Like this is like, you're building something that every business needs. And I get it because I've run so many and now I get what you're doing and I'm so excited for you. So that was a seminal moment that gave me confidence. Like, okay, I, I am onto something because, you know, what a focus group, like, you know, my dad's not going to BS me. He's not trying to, like, he was always good at telling me, you know, the truth. And, uh, and I could give examples of that, like, but he, he never, ever was not direct. And so for him to be direct and tell me that this was something that was game changing for an SMB, that gave me a lot of confidence to go say to the account that said, Hey, I don't need this. Like, I think you do. Please try it. And so I use that personal relationship to make those things happen. I think, you know, fast forward, I think by the time you get to, you know, moving uh, a billion dollars in funds and seeing that there is enough of a business model that is coming together the way you envision the spreadsheet, regardless of the number of customers, right? I mean, I, somewhere, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about every financial plan that every entrepreneur does probably is a miss. Uh, except it better not be on the business model. That that would be my advice. And our business model, when we we knew that, hey, by a billion dollars, we ought to be able to show what the business model looks like. And it was exactly what we thought. That was like, I've got a business. I just got to keep accelerating and being patient enough for all of that to come together and be what Bill is today. Yeah, that, that, that that's helpful. To the point that you that you just referenced, every entrepreneur has, you know, challenging moments and, you know, I, I think most of our companies at some point have, have had to, you know, kind of execute on a, an important pivot or adjustment. At the very least, there's been a round that they struggled to raise. Curious uh, if there were any difficult days for for you leading Bill, because most people only, you know, in modern history know you as really being a market leader and having a fantastic kind of run these 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 past many years. But Curious if there were any really challenging times that you're comfortable sharing. I mean, one thing I would say is that uh, adoption rates are very hard to predict, but value creation is not. And so I would always, I was always focused on that. Like, how do I make sure I'm creating value for the customers we have? And so, uh, but in order to actually believe in that statement, you have to be here tomorrow. You can't go out of business today. So switching gears a little bit, I always like to think of you as being one of our CEOs, and I'm sure we have many, uh, but being one of our CEOs with a pretty big heart. And and we've had discussions about this. You know, I'm curious if, if you can share with the group you know, kind of, of of listeners, where does your, where do you believe your sense of character and this the imperative to do good comes from? And I'd love it if you, you could share a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely uh, not a surprise. I'm going to say my parents, in particular, I'm going to say, you know, really my mom. Mom, and you really did a great job of helping me understand that life is short and that, you know, appreciating the sunsets and how you treat people really, really matters. And one of the things to the point about leaning in on that empathy and, and deciding to be a giver and not a taker in the world, right? There's definitely uh, different approaches to, to how you manage your, your life. One of those things was mom worked all day, every day in the business, doing lots of important things, came home and did everything at night, right? She, she made the dinner, she did the wash, she took us to whatever things we need to go to. And just seeing, and she never complained, she was always happy. Seeing that made me want to give back. So she never asked me to step in, but I would step in. Let me do this this night. Let me go do the chores. Let me go do this or that. We, my parents actually had one rule, which was go get good grades. Like that's going to be the important thing. Study hard, be happy. And so we didn't really have chores. Every now and then they'd say, go do this or that. But we didn't have set chores. It was more about go be who you are. Uh, which was super helpful, but I saw the effort that it took and I wanted to help, you know, make that life better. And then I went to boarding school, uh, where it was, uh, had a, the school, Kent school had a motto, Temperantia Fiducia Constantia, which talks about, uh, self-reliance, directness of purpose and simplicity of life. Self-reliance and directness of purpose go hand in hand with giving back right? Simplicity of life. All these things are just about giving back. And so for me, you know, I started the company because I wanted to have an impact and help SMBs do something with their life that was around their passion versus around their have to haves, right? Running the back office of any business is a have to have. It's not something that people start because they want to do. They start the business because they're really into baking or writing AI code or whatever it is that they are starting the business. And so for me, it just kind of all came together where I saw that, you know, in, in the world that there's no part, no role is more important than any other role. And so all of our jobs is to make each other successful. And the more you lean into that serving leadership and just kind of embrace that, the more opportunities you have to uh, increase your own capabilities uh, as well as to impact others. And it's a kind of a nice circle that kind of goes together. So I think it started with mom and just, you know, her lessons around life is short and then seeing how she never asked for anything and just kept doing it, that I wanted to be somebody that could kind of support people like that. That's awesome. Well, obviously over the years, Bill has gone on to be hugely successful. You guys have gone public, you've acquired companies, I think public markets, you know, kind of even as difficult as it is to always surf the waves of the public markets. I think you, you guys seem to have done a great job. Just to, if we, if we roll back a little bit though, I mean, in the sort of middle years, the, the hard yards, were you always sure you wanted to take the company public? It's a really great question as what is the intrinsic motivation that makes anybody do anything? Right. Uh, and for me, I've had friends that have said that their goal was to take a company public or to be a public company CEO. That was never my goal. That's not my motivation. My goal is, and I think we've already talked about it, is to help SMBs thrive, to be successful, to really get back to what they love. 
And I like building software that enables that. I like making things efficient for them to do that. And so for me, the goal is how do I serve and support more SMBs, as well as building a community at the office that people really enjoy working at. Like those are things that I feel are concrete that I can actually understand how I'm doing. You know, a goal with being a public company CEO or officer, or whatever, that doesn't really say anything. Uh, I think, you know, impact says something. Having, you know, 1% of GDP go through the bill rails, that's impact, right? Having, you know, 2,500 employees that, you know, like and enjoy working here, that's impact. Having, you know, close to half a million businesses uh, on the platform, that's impact. So for me, the goal was always that. And if being public allowed me to actually go get more, serve more of that, then I was going to go do that. Right. And so that's how I always thought about it. Because if I made any of these things about me, then I actually think the company doesn't succeed. It has to be about the mission, the vision, uh, the opportunity. And, uh, and so to your question around, you know, challenges that I think I could be a public company CEO, never thought whether I could or not. The question was in the moment, am I the best person for the job? And that's the way I ask the board to think about it. That's the way I think about it. Like in the moment, do I have all the capabilities and tools that are necessary for this company to succeed? And I'm totally comfortable with there might be some day when I am not that person. It's weird to think about, but I had a coach that taught me early on that, uh, you know, he would tell his clients, uh, the moment you're hired, accept the fact that you've been fired. Now go do your work, right? Like, don't worry about that. Like the focus has to be on success. The focus has to be on the customers and the employees and the opportunities that you have at hand. And it can't be about you and just be reasonable and assess your own capabilities. And that's, that's always been, you know, my focus is that I, I focus on how do I grow? How do I make sure that I am capable of really helping the company succeed around its mission? And, you know, growth is not easy. That's something I would tell all the entrepreneurs I'm listening is that you have to embrace growth. It is not easy the stages you go through from founding to leading a public company to a company at scale, all these things are different and ask different things of the leaders. And to assume that you will be the same is actually not possible. You will be changed. Uh, and you have to be the one leading that change as much as possible. Great words of wisdom. I, you stole a couple of questions I was going to give you for follow-up, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Thank you. And, and good advice for, for founders. I'm curious if it feels, if you ever wake up feeling weird about being an incumbent after, you know, so, so long of being an emerging, you know, kind of fledgling category creator, is that an, you know, a weird feeling or sensation? I think there's, there's I, the first aspect I would say is that the category is defined. We have done that, but we're just beginning, right? We have 1% of GDP. We have you know, half a million, you know, I guess it's uh, 460,000 customers that are on the platform, right? There's just, there's so much more to go get from a market perspective and opportunity to serve that it, I don't feel like the incumbent. So do I feel like the, the company that has defined the category? Yes. Do we have lots of people saying, I'm going to go do that too? Yes. Is imitation the highest form of flattery? Maybe, right? Um, but I also know that what's left for us to go do, the amount of vision and opportunity that we have to serve customers with more capabilities than they've ever had to serve SMBs with things they've never had before is super high, right? Just think about how, you know, we've leveraged the cloud and you know, I've been talking about this and like when I started on this, nobody even 
called it the cloud. I mean, I think, you know, it was, it was not, it was SaaS is what we called it. And now it's called the cloud, right? And so this opportunity to have all this data at one place and all this opportunity to create experiences one place, which is the cloud, creates so much opportunity to innovate in places that have never been innovated around before. So you think about the basic accounting that businesses have done for hundreds of years, if not thousands, it's very manual. And all that can be automated now because of the cloud. That leads to AI, which obviously is something that is super exciting. Uh, we're leveraging it in a number of areas, but the opportunity when you go forward is like, okay, like there's more innovation for businesses going forward than there is having been done. And that's what I'm excited about for our business is just kind of leveraging what we've learned and what technologies are being developed into a even more efficient, effective platform for SMBs. Makes total sense. So I'm curious because I, I, we hear all the time about founders in other parts of the world who, who want to be the bill of, of that region or, you know, m multiple regions outside the U.S. Uh, do, do you all, do you spend much time thinking about the, the market outside the, the U.S. and how it might unfold over time? Not specifically what you guys will do, but just, you know, how the market for B2B payments or, you know, kind of account payable automation might look in the future in other, in other parts of the world? Yeah, I mean, we definitely spend time thinking about it. Uh, I would say, you know, from this kind of two angles, one of them is not really the question you're asking, but it does inform kind of the second. When I think about competition, I oftentimes, I use stories and metaphors to kind of help people understand the point and how I think about it. So when Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile in the late 50s, there's a guy named, I think, John Landy in Australia that broke it by about a second. Uh, faster than Bannister, maybe within three to six months. And so they got together for a race in Vancouver called the Miracle Mile. So, and this is crazy to think about this. I think 35,000 people went to this race. Like this is how big a deal it was that somebody was breaking a four minute mile and the two guys that had broken it were going to race each other. And so they go and they race and they're on the last turn. And Landy, of course, is in front because he was, he had the faster time. Uh, he looks over his left shoulder. And Bannister passed him on his right. And the reason I bring up the story is that a statue of it in Vancouver, get a look at it, uh, is that from a competitive standpoint or what others are doing perspective, you always have to be focused on your own vision. I do look at the competition. I do think about what's happening internationally. I make sure that interesting things are on my purview, that opportunities for us to kind of uh, potentially partner or opportunities for us to learn, like all that is super important. But when you run your race, run your race. And we have so much vision that we can execute on just for the U.S. businesses. We're going to make sure we're running that race. We have extended, obviously, with invoice to go to have an international presence. And we have opportunities to do more. And we will. I think businesses everywhere are stuck in paperwork. And it literally is paperwork. And I think, you know, the workflows, the AI automation, all the capabilities that we have, or something that's going to be important? Will some people do it in their country and be specific to their country? Absolutely. Will there be opportunities to kind of leverage something more holistically? I believe so, because the capabilities of what we're building keep getting better and better. And I think that's the thing that we're going to focus on is to make sure that we deliver the best solution for SMBs, no matter where they are. That's awesome. I you know we're wrapping up here. Well, maybe one or two more quick questions. Fintech's obviously been through an interesting roller coaster these last, you know, several years. It got very hot, like hotter than I ever could have imagined it being. And then it's it's cooled down a bit. And as a person who's spent their career 
starting businesses in the fintech world. I'm curious how you think about where we are today on the journey towards fintech innovation. So from an innovation perspective, there is, like I said, I think there's more to come than what has been done, right? So there's so much more to come. I do think that everybody has to watch the hype, right? And it doesn't matter whether it's AI or fintech, there is hype out there that goes on. And businesses that you're building to last take time. Uh, Categories that you're defining take time. And so really uh, making sure that your, your motivation and this would be the entrepreneur's motivation or the investor's motivation is not around the hype. It's around, no, that's a problem that really needs to get solved. You focus on that. If you have a great team, like it'll happen. Now you might have to be patient and that's something that's not easy, but the hype, you know, is where I would say lemmings come in. And the example I, I, I once got to hear, I think it was Lassiter, Arthur Lassiter, I think is an MIT econ professor. I got to hear him speak at some event. And it was probably right around uh, 2000, maybe 2001 after that, you know, dot-com bust. And he made this analogy. It's like, so like if you're an antelope on the safari, uh, Sahara, whatever, if you're out there on, uh, you know, way in the middle of the river and you're surrounded by 10,000 of your closest friends and one of them moves, are you going to wait to see if it was a line or are you just going to move? Like this is herd mentality, right? You have to follow herd mentality when you're kind of growing like that. And yet the thing that all of us entrepreneurs need to do and investors is not to follow herd mentality. And that's the difference between hype and really understanding what the pain points are and the capabilities are in the teams that you're working with. And that's the thing I would say like, yeah, so has there been some hype? Yeah. I've never focused on that. I focused on, am I solving and creating value every day that makes businesses better and more successful? And if I answer that, then I know that things will roll together eventually. And I think that's super hard. That patience sometimes is hard, um, but I, I never like being loving. So I try not to be. Really wise words. So keep, keep focused, be patient and, you know, focus on delivering the core value and, and the impact of, of what you're delivering. I, it seems like really good words of wisdom for the folks listening. Uh, I really just want to say thanks again for joining us today, Renee. This this has been awesome. I learned a few things, uh, heard a few things that I hadn't heard before, and I just appreciate you being willing to share this with our listeners and our ecosystem. Excellent. Well, Dan, it's always great to talk to you. I've enjoyed our conversations over the years, and and great questions. And you know, I think the work that you do, the work that your portfolio company do, and all the things that are in the ecosystem. This is what makes the world go around. It's what makes us better. So so thank you for having me on and, and happy to be here. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Commerce Conversations. If you want to keep up to date with cutting edge themes and opinions in the commerce universe, you can follow us on Twitter at CommerceVC, find more of our content on Medium at the same handle, and subscribe to our newsletter on our website, commerce.vc. Thanks for listening.